0: Hey, what's going on, good people? Welcome back to another episode of Training Well Done, your podcast on what, the why, and the how of quality training. This is your host, Coach Donald, and I am joined with one of our awesome coaches, Adam Burgess. What's going on, good brother?
1: Uh, you know, it's going all right. Uh, I'm surviving the winter here. It's been a brutal winter. Um, we had a few, we had a few warm days and last week. I think. You know, it's been. That was good, but now we're back to this cold, and I hate it. <laughs>
0: this, this Georgia peach over here just can't handle the snow. I can't. It's the end of February and it's snowing right now.
1: I've been here for four years. I can't. I still can't handle it. It's, uh, it stinks.
0: You and Kyler killed me with your uh, weather <laughs> intolerance or bear tolerance, I should say. <laughs> Everything
1: just becomes harder, you know. Like there's not a whole lot of sun. You know, your vitamin D is
0: probably a little low, so. Probably not feeling the best. I notice a marked difference when it's a warm day in like February, March. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have all this energy. And like, I just feel on top of the world. And, you know, try all these things to feel good in the winter. But nothing works like the sun's just coming out.
1: Yeah, I mean, the sun is like a big thing. I have a a light at at my other job. And it just shines on me during the day when I'm sitting at my desk. And it's usually like a good... Good. It's not great, but it's good for me. So that, I don't know. That's that's uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, you know, it's, it is a bright on the bright side. It is good that uh, no pun intended there. But it is it is uh, <laughs> it is good that uh, the uh, the sun is starting to set a little bit later. I have noticed that, and I enjoy that.
0: Yeah. So what's this? So Adam was. You were just telling me about this uh, Venezuelan food truck that I clearly need to try. What is this again? Uh,
1: so, it's, it's, it's a restaurant food truck. It's called cilantro y ajo.
0: You hear his Spanish? Yeah, yeah. Cilantro.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, my fiance is Hispanic. She's I from I actually Venezuela. did not know that. Yeah, she, she's Hispanic. She's originally from Venezuela. She moved here to the States when she was like 11. Um, and uh, we met in college, but when we moved to Pittsburgh, she, uh, she we were looking for like, I guess, a Venezuelan restaurant. By, by chance. And there was this one on the south side, it's on, the, it's on, the, it's on Carson Street, and they have a food truck that uh, comes to this uh, spot that's right by my house every, uh, every so often. Um, and man, it's really good They have your traditional Venezuelan street food. Um, one of my personal favorites is, is something called a cachapa, which is like a pancake, but it's made out of corn. Uh, and it's sweet, and they put this like cheese on top of it, so you get your sweet and your salty does it for me it's real
0: good a corn pancake
1: yeah so like you know how your pancake traditional pancake is made out of like wheat yeah i guess yeah so this is like
0: like, cornmeal
1: kind of i would say that's like
0: Sounds hearty
1: yeah well i mean i mean it definitely doesn't have your fluffy-ish texture that your normal pancake would but you know it's it's soft it it tastes good it's sweeter Um, like the dough is all right. the dough is sweeter and uh you know, the tastes tastes wonderful. And then you get your salty with the cheese on top.
0: So. Huh.
1: Yeah, I highly recommend. And
0: hey, what's this place called again?
1: It's called cilantro Iajo.
0: Okay. I just really wanted you to hear you say
1: that yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get my practice around 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 dating. I have been trying to try learn a little more Spanish on the side, uh, which is uh, which is definitely gonna be a goal of mine in, in in the future, if I
0: start having some more time. But
1: yeah, every now and then I talk to I talk to um, my fiance Danny in Spanish. So shout out to Danny.
0: Oh, okay. Shout out to y'all, uh, listeners. Excuse if you hear any thumping that sounds like Maui pounding on his chest. We are not recording in the gym because Benny's down there coaching, and somebody upstairs is clearly has a beef with the floor. So <laughs> apologies. <laughs> um so i got coach adam here on the podcast we're going to talk about training uh he coach adam has been here you've been here for almost a year and i have not stolen but i like it's fun to use that word stolen a bunch of exercises from him even so i have this woman amber she does um like obstacle course races and I've been, you know, we've been talking about the lats and like the banded ex, using bands to do lat pulls. And so, what I've been doing with her, because she would do pull ups, and she's like, Donald, I cannot feel my lats when I do pull ups. It's just my biceps, and like my arms get so sore. And I'm like, When you're done with pull ups, you should feel your lats have worked. And she's like, absolutely not, I don't feel them have worked at all. Or when we would do rows, or when she told me she would do rows at home, she's like, I don't feel them at all. So I took one of Coach Adam's handy-dandy exercises, and what I started doing was, I would have her sit down, engage the lat with the band, pull it down, like how you had me do the, the little bit of a rotary there, and let her tell her to like let it up very slowly, and prime her lat so she can feel them. And so last week, we literally just did those instead of pull-ups. And then she went and did pull-ups at home a couple days ago, and she said, oh, I felt them. Like, my biceps didn't start burning until, like, number eight instead of, like, number two. And so we did them today, and I used that as a primer for everything else, Mm -hmm. and then we added some scat push-ups and all that for the rows. And um, kind of just being more intentional about, well, with her very specifically, being able to actually engage the muscle and then do the more robust exercise to actually get the feel but like i you know just i brought it up because it's one of those exercises that you showed me that like um i would have had to do a lot more mental effort to come to that conclusion to do something like that it would not have come to me so easily if it did at all
1: yeah yeah exercise selection is like i, I think as a coach it's, it's one of the toughest things that we can do because you know, you work with a lot of different athletes, and, and every athlete's going to be a little different. Um, some exercise are going to work better for better for others than they will for some. So um, it's glad that we were able to find an exercise for that person. And, and yeah, the lats are also a tricky a tricky one too. Like when you're doing any sort of any sort of pull up or any area I guess like similar exercise, you know, your lats are one of those those muscles that that you that you don't tend to feel as much. I guess, but like. You know, we, we do want to be able to find ways to activate them, and I think that exercise you were talking about is a really good way to do that for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, so before we, we kind of let into this, you had some thoughts. We wanted to bring you on and talk about different aspects of posture. So, so for y'all listening, um, Adam being here has helped challenge me to think more and more about posture and breathing. You know, these are things that, of course, I to some extent will work on, but he brings it as a different level of focus to it that has changed and influenced and changed a bit about how i even coach and so coming on adam also has his opinions about certain things um yeah <laughs> you know it's funny i sent you guys a message about here are my core beliefs uh a, a coach of mine you know he had challenged me like you should like write up your core beliefs in fitness and you know they are where you draw your lines in the sand like i have a big thing about fast days fast slow days slow mm-hmm. i have things about like you know all youth athletes and people who are you know newer to training they should all just do low intensity training there's really no reason for somebody to ever do a five by five and they've been training for like a year like there's just no reason for that right. um and so having these lines in the sand, I feel like every adult who does a running event should learn how to sprint so, but you have some things too, and I had challenged you guys to come up with your own. And I know that this isn't exactly that, but it, part of having your own beliefs or knowing like, you know, these are like myths or these things aren't real. And so I know you want to talk about some of that. And let's talk, let's, let's educate the people. And I want to hear more about what you think about some of these aspects of training that are like rules of thumb, but they're really rules of like pinky toes. Yeah,
1: I, I think in the, the training industry that we're seeing today, you know, there's been a big shift in the way that a lot of coaches and trainers and, and professionals in this industry are really thinking about. Um, and, 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 you know, one of those things, and the, I think that, sorry, I think the reason that this is happening is because, you know, when fitness was kind of in its first, I don't know, its budding years, you know, you saw. A lot of a lot of just bodybuilders and that type of like those type of people and they really I th- I feel like they sort of dominated the you know the conversation with a lot of fitness you know we weren't really talking about you know athletic performance for a lot of people or you know certain sport like sport specific is this buzzword that people like to throw around now um, and so when when you talked about bodybuilding or even powerlifting was a big one too um, you know there's the right way to squat and that was the way that they did it. And now as we're getting, you know, further into this, this later into our lives of training, we're starting to see, okay, well maybe there's like more effective, there's better ways to squat, or maybe there's more appropriate ways to squat for different people. And that's not just squat, it's deadlifting. it's just other types of movement that we're seeing. Um, and so like, I guess like one of those myths that we used to hear about is, is, you know, your knees can't go over your toes when you're squatting because it's bad for your knees. It puts too much you know, force on them, you're going to damage them. You, know, you hear all kinds of things that, that come out of people's mouths, and, and some of them experts, some of them may not be, um, but you know, I, I do think that, that that type of movement can be very beneficial for a lot of people, and pushing your knees over your toes is a good position to get in if you're you know, doing different things, whether you're a basketball player. You know, you play a field sport, maybe even football, something like that, or even just runners in general, right? You know, naturally, your knees kind of go over your toes anyway, so why not try to load that and train that in a, in a healthy manner? Um, and not every squat, not every movement has to be like that, but um, that's just kind of like one of those things that that has been so ingrained with like the squat is like your knees aren't, can't go over your toes or you're gonna, you're going to blow them up, you're going to hurt them.
0: So a couple questions. Yeah. One, what type of situations occur like where I guess maybe you shouldn't because is that like a universal law that we should never, that we should always be able to squat knees over toes or other situations where like, eh, you might actually not want to. That's a good question. Um, I mean,
1: if you're a power lifter who is, you know, putting 400 pounds on your back trying to squat, uh, I mean, maybe like squatting, pushing your knees, like, as far as I can over your toes might not be the best thing um, because you've got so much weight on your back, right? But we're not really coaching powerlifters that often, right? That's kind of a separate sport. Um, you know, so that's like the big the big thing is, is how much weight are you putting on your back? Um, you know, that's, that's what I think.
0: What about like your mom? Like <laughs> should your mom walk in the gym and squat knees over toes right now or will she have some pain? So, it's a good question. I think
1: the, the squatting for, for, I guess, your older populations, you know, you got to be careful with them, right? Because they may have some other underlying issues, your arthritis, things like that. We don't want them to, to have a lot of pain or, or, or put too much force on those ligaments and those tendons and those knees. So, um, you know, maybe it's something we can work towards, um, and, and there are ways to gradually load that position for them that might work. And then for others, you know, it might not work and that's okay. I don't think it's an absolute necessity, but uh, it is kind of just like one of these myths that has just been thrown around, I think, for a long time now that you shouldn't shove your knees over your toes. But yeah, I agree. Like, you know, maybe your mob shouldn't be doing that as often. <laughs> just, uh, maybe you're a 15 to 30 year old athlete who's in here working out all the time. So.
0: so for that 15 to 30 year old athlete, why should they like squat knees over toes? Like what benefit does that provide And in- how do they get there because if i walk down the street and try to pull some kid i mean some of them might be able to but they probably won't
1: yeah it's a it's a tough position to to get into in general um and and what i mean by what position i'm talking about is is if we're talking about a bilateral squat you know we're talking about staying as upright as possible um we're getting low kind of our butt to the ground as best we can and those knees are definitely going to be over those toes in some fashion um
0: now, sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> um, why should they train it mm, yeah. and how do they progress to it?
1: You know, it's a, it's, I think it's just generally a healthy position to be in. It's a good athletic position to be in. Um, you know, if you're a field sport athlete or even basketball, you kind of see that happening. You see your athletes putting their knees over the toes when they're, you know, jumping up to the basket, like in basketball, for instance. Or if they're in football and they're coming out of a cut or an ultimate frisbee, you know, they're changing direction. Okay, you're going to see these types of positions happening. And, you know, if that's the case, why wouldn't we
0: train that in the gym? That's fair. Yeah. My, whole, my thought process on it is very much like to be a healthy athlete, you should have the ability to do that. Yeah. Now, under the context of when you should train knees over toes, uh, you know, I guess it's somewhat context driven. But like, yeah, if you're like sprinting and I think about being in the start blocks, it's like, you're literally a hamstring to calf at the bottom, you know, foots back, knees down. Mm-hmm. If you were to make yourself be vertical, you'd still be over knees over toes and you have mm-hmm. to be able to explode out of that position. Right. And for like the first several seconds of the sprint, you're literally doing that. Yeah. Um, and the better you can have that range of motion and ability, the better. And when I think about you know, with the quad, with the quad tendon, the patellar ligament, having the ability to get in that position is a sign of health mm-hmm. in the knee. Because my I look at like, oh, you shouldn't squat with your knees over toes, because it's like, well, your knees aren't strong enough to do it, so of course you shouldn't do it because you're gonna feel hurt. Right, <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> you're just gonna be uncomfortable, and we don't want you to squat uncomfortable, but you should be able to slowly progress you know, people uh, joke about. I remember. I don't know if you partied a lot in college. I kind of did. And so now, you know, I'm we 30 now. all did at some point. yeah. We all did. <laughs> and I'm 30 now, right? You know, y'all listening? I mean, I've been saying this for weeks now. Gosh. Um, <laughs> so friends from school are like, "Oh, I can't dance the way I did when we was 21 at the little campus parties. I can't <laughs> go down there. My knees won't let me back up." And it's like, well, there are there are people out here who can still do that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm not going to say that they go to the gym and train knees over toes, but they do challenge their range of motion and the strength of their quads and their tendons to be able to achieve those positions. And if you can squat there. I think you should load it like, yeah. you know, there's context, all that range of motion, but having access, it's like um, being able to the, go to the car dealership and buy a Mercedes. And A, you could just buy the Mercedes, Mm -hmm. or let's say the day doesn't call for a knees-over-toes squat, but it requires a deep squat or your athletic event, you know, it's time for you to go slam the dunk, slam the ball and go buy the Mercedes. Or maybe you actually go for like a fake layup and you pass the ball and you don't have to actually get in that position. (laughs) You just don't buy the Mercedes that day. Yeah. You should be able to. Yeah. I think you just kind of hit the nail on the head. Like that's a big part of my
1: like philosophy as a coach is like how can I get my athletes to get in positions, uh, as sorry as many positions as possible, right? And how can we get them to, to learn how to do that and effectively? And I think that you know, just the squat is a good example of of that. How can we get them to get low? How can we get them to, you know, push their knees over their toes a little bit more? Get into these positions where we are talking about and. And uh, I'm not saying they have to do it all the time, but they need to have the ability to
0: do that. Um,
1: and I think that's a healthy thing, like you said.
0: What are these other... What's another one of these dogmatic things that you're like, eh, throw that shit in the trash. It's good to cuss. Um, the, the, <laughs> the next one is, is that I'm
1: sort of challenging is that, you know, spinal flexion is bad. Um, and I'll give a little context for that. When we're talking about... Um, you know, someone picking picking some weight off the ground in a deadlift of some sort. Um, you know, they talk about arching your back, uh, keeping that lower back really tight. You know, keeping that core super engaged and tight. You know, because we don't want the amount of weight to put a lot of uh, put a lot of stress on. You know, those discs that may have a tendency to uh, quote unquote herniate uh, on those those lumbar spine area. So. and also you know this is kind of the case in the squat where like you want a super straight neutral back Um, but specifically with the deadlift you know we talk about having a neutral spine and there is some validity to that like we don't want you know you to be completely rounding your back too much with that but I think I I remember reading a study somewhere where they looked at you know a healthy 30 year old's back who doesn't tend to work out as much Um, you know no pain no sort of you know, medical conditions, and they found that, like, regular people have a lot of disc herniation in their, in their lower back. Like, uh, just, just people that don't work out. Correct, yeah. So, oh. you know, and then they found that a lot of people who do work out, who do have healthy backs, um, they do a lot of deadlifts, they do everything in the gym, you know, they, but they don't have any pain, they're healthy, they also found that those people tend to have some herdiated discs in their back so as well.
0: Both of them do.
1: Yeah. So it's I think the the worry about like flexing your spine a little bit is is a little bit overstated because, you know, a lot of healthy people who flex their spines on a regular basis don't have pain. And, you know, that's the that's the thing right there. Are they having pain?
0: So. Um now when you say flex the spine, do you mean like Thoracic spine and your mid-back or like lumbar? Uh, both,
1: actually. Um, but in terms of study, I think they were looking at lumbar, uh, lumbar spine. So, um, you know, when we're in a squat position, um, people talk about that butt wink. Do you, do you know what that is? You know, the, so for those who don't know, butt wink is kind of where you're squatting and then you get low to a certain point and then your hips kind of tuck under you, almost like a dog's tail is like tucking under its butt when it's scared like that's the analogy there. So if you can visualize what that is, like you're seeing someone with a squat and they get down really low and then their butt tucks under them. So people get worried about that because they think it's, um, you know, they think it's bad for your lower back because it can cause herniated discs, pain in the future, and they might be right. Um, and with the deadlift on the other hand, with the, with the thoracic spine, so the thoracic is a little more up in the middle of your back, Um, people say the sort of the same thing that like it's not good to to round your back a whole lot when you're doing a deadlift and to a certain extent yeah we don't want to be super relaxed up in that area we want some tension right but you know I think it's okay to have a little bit of you know flexion in that area Um, especially if you're not having pain you know the deadlift itself looks good like we're not going to be criticizing every little bit of their of their deadlift as a coach right so i think as you know as we look at these studies about like herniation and disc herniation and things like that it you know maybe we should consider you know maybe letting those shoulders relax a little bit maybe adding a little bit of you know sur- uh, thoracic uh flexion is like not that bad as it was not as bad as we thought it would be
0: mm. And I look at people who can deadlift, like, 400 pounds. Yeah. They, like, all flex their spine, Right, yeah. And I mean, there's some level of, like, I feel like, can you actually hold 400 pounds and not flex your spine? Right. Or even, right. like, three-something? Uh, I feel like when you can't, when you, when you deadlift around your body weight, though, I feel like you should be able to maintain this neutral spine. But I don't know if that's just me being stubborn or not. But it's like, uh, you, if you only could deadlift your body weight, you're probably new to deadlifting. And I feel like, yeah, uh, you should be able to do that with very, I don't know, straight and narrow form. But maybe that's just my feelings on things. And as you like get to you know twice your body weight and you start getting really strong, well, there's only so much weight you can hold and like maintain that. But I don't really see th- like lumbar flexion happen that much with really strong people mm-hmm. um, and I find that lumbar flexion is uncomfortable but like thoracic ex- extend, uh, flexion you know in the spine I don't know I-, I tend to see that more often You see a little more lumbar flexion
1: in squats because of that butt wink mm-hmm. um, and I think I think like the the lumbar flexion thing you know it's it, when we're talking about squats it's in certain contexts, it can be okay. And what I mean by that is how much load we're we putting, where is the load located? Is it on their back? Is the load in front of them? Are they doing a goblet squat? Are they doing a back squat? Um, and also, what does their squat look like?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is kind of getting to some biomechanics things, but when you're talking about a squat versus a deadlift, I think there there is a lot of room for discussion on... You know what a squat should look like versus what a deadlift should look like and sometimes when i watch athletes squat and deadlift they almost look a little bit of the same Mm. Um, and what i mean by that is if you think about someone doing a squat they have a bar in their back a lot of people they just kind of immediately they shove their butt out behind them and then they try to sit down Mm. um And that almost looks a little bit like a deadlift, because deadlift, we're doing that hinge motion, it's the same thing. We're pushing our butt back, pushing that butt out behind us, and we're trying to pick something up off the ground. Or in an RDL case, we're trying to, you know, slowly let down the bar and get a good stretch in our hamstrings. So with the lumbar flexion thing, the only difference is in the squat and the deadlift is that you're sitting down a little further. Mm-hmm. in the squat and the load is also a little bit different there or the load is located at a different place so if I see in other words what I'm trying to say here to sum it all up is if I see someone squat and it looks very hingy where they're they're, they're putting that, they're poking that butt out the knees aren't going a little over their toes is what I would want them to and they got a lot of butt wink that's a lot of lumbar flexion that I might not, might not want ah. okay? because we're, we're thinking hey you know, if we're, especially if we're loading that person you know, that's maybe a little extra stress on that lumbar spine we don't want, right? It's not
0: a very squatty squat. It's
1: not a squatty squat. That's exactly right. So that's, but on the flip side, if they do have a good squatty squat, you know, they're staying very upright, um, you know, they, they got their knees over their toes, you know, they're getting kind of deep and they have a little bit of that butt wink, that lumbar flexion we're talking about, I might be okay with that. I might be okay with that because I know that I know that they're in the position that I want them to be, and if it's not an egregious amount of butt wink,
0: it's okay. Nice. That's
1: how. That's how. That's my philosophy. How I feel about it.
0: You know, my philosophy is, in my thirty <laughs> revolutions around the sun. Most people hurt their bats picking up a pencil off the floor, <laughs> and then they do deadlifting.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's that. Isn't that hilarious? Like we we hurt our, like at, at, that's like a weird trend, right? Like athletes they hurt themselves doing the weirdest things.
0: I literally had some guy, I forget when, it was like last year or two years ago, told me he like, sh- like literally had a, a, threw a disc out <laughs> because he went to tie his shoes. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Yeah,
1: I mean like the body works in mysterious ways and, and some things we probably don't know about yet. But. <laughs> yeah, many ways yeah that is a that is hilarious
0: give us uh give us one more
1: um well i think i think in terms of um yeah let's talk about some breathing stuff so like the breathing myth that i'm thinking about is and i think this has kind of come from like the yoga um the yoga areas in life potentially but you know. Have you ever heard of belly breathing and like maybe the benefits of belly breathing? Uh,
0: you know, I've heard of it. That about that, I admittedly don't remember what the purported benefits of belly breathing is, other than like I guess getting more oxygen in, like I don't know, breathing yeah. in my belly. I think. Um, so I does think that make the uh, more, maybe.
1: Yeah, I think the 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 case for belly breathing was just to try to get the diaphragm more involved, um, and because you know it is a very big primary mover when it comes to. Respiration,
0: But don't you just focus on expanding your lungs more and that makes the diaphragm do its yeah, thing? Yeah,
1: I think, I think, but in, in recent times what we've seen is, is there is like this trend of belly breathing that is like supposed to be a healthy thing. And I feel like that needs to
0: go away. Why? And well, First of all, <laughs> explain what it is and then why. So belly said, breathing is wait.
1: strictly like, you know, you're focusing your diaphragm and you're pushing your belly out to breathe.
0: Oh, like you're trying to be a little Buddha belly. Yeah,
1: exactly right. So you're you're really focusing on pushing that belly out when you inhale and then, you know you know it, 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 it it's almost like forcing your diaphragm to work in a weird way. Which hmm. I, I still don't understand, but I know it's
0: been uh, it's been something that has been talked about. Um, so what should we do instead? Like how instead of making a little Buddha belly <laughs> <sighs> It like hurts. Yeah, it's like it's I'm, like a I'm weird just sucking thing. air in my stomach.
1: It's a weird thing, you know. We have these we have these awesome ribs that, that encompass our our guts and our internal organs, and uh, you know we also have our lungs there that need to be expanded when we breathe. Um, and as we inhale, your diaphragm descends into your belly a little bit, so there is a little bit of ex, uh, expansion that happens down there. But when we inhale, we really should be thinking about, you know, filling those ribs with our air, expanding out into the back, also into the front, and then, um, and then we want a big exhale as well. Um, that's also something that is interesting that I want to talk about. Is Ooh, like, yeah. I think when we talk about breathing, everyone talks about the inhalation. You know, you ever hear someone say, "Take a deep breath." Yeah. Take
0: a deep breath. Oh, it's relaxing.
1: Maybe it is. It probably is. It's relaxing for me. Adam does not me. take
0: deep breaths in, y'all. He said it's probably relaxing. <laughs> no, no. He does not know. He's like, ah, oh, deep breaths in. All right. No. I did, I did not. That. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sounds like a cool thing.
1: You guys got that. I did not say that. I take deep breaths all the time. <laughs> um, and I think, I think it's a very, it's good. It's, it can be relaxing. But um, I think it can also be relaxing to limit your breathing. Limit limit like, your breathing a little bit. I think I think there are I think a lot of people out there are chronic overbreathers.
0: Oh my gosh, my and, mind's being warped right yeah, now. And, I thought people didn't <sighs> breathe enough. You guys are overbreathers. So it is kind of a theory.
1: It's it's based on this book that I've been reading a little bit of. It's called the Oxygen Advantage, um, and it's and it's been written by this guy um, uh, Patrick. Oh, I don't remember his last name. I'd have to get back to you guys on that one. But uh, he is an asthma sufferer. Um, and he, he, he... I guess the, the premise is based on a type of breathing, um, I guess in some Eastern Orthodox countries. Um, that's probably not the right, correct term to use. But it's more of an Eastern uh, style of breathing that focuses on less breathing overall. So, as opposed to, have you ever heard of Wim Hof? Yeah. So, Wim Hof is like all about the cold and things like that, but he's also uh, very big on, you know, some very forceful breaths and taking a lot of air in to warm your body up. So, in this case, um, this guy Patrick is talking about breathing less and using less oxygen to relax your body a little bit more. Um, And he thinks it's a great way especially for asthma sufferers, to learn how to retrain their diaphragm a little bit. Mm. Um, I think we don't focus on the exhalation part enough of breathing. Um, and that is something that um, can utilize your abdominals a little bit more. It also teaches your diaphragm to relax. If we breathe a lot and we over our diaphragm is just super overactive. We wanna get that to calm down a little bit more. And that stimulates our parasympathetic nervous system. Um, it causes us to relax a little bit more. That's our um, fight or flight, parasympathetic-sympathetic type of thing. Um, and that's good for people to relax. So one of the things that I tend to do if I'm stressed is actually try to hold my breath a little bit. And you'd be you'd be, you'd be surprised a little bit, I think, as is, to is how you might feel, is if you work on some breath-holding techniques, um, you might actually find yourself relaxing a little bit more. You'll feel some warmth come into you a little bit. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's kinda of my experience with breathing recently is, is focusing more on the exhalation and then utilizing your nose a little bit more. We have this awesome nose that filters our air in when we breathe, it also warms it for us. It's like our natural humidifier, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another big focus is using less of our mouth to do the breathing and much more of our nose. Um, personally, in my training, um, I tend to nasal breathe as much as possible. I think that's it's a good adaptation to have um, because it, it teaches us to reduce our heart rate a little bit faster so we can recover faster between workouts if we're doing aerobic stuff running um, or even in the gym too
0: when you're lifting weights hmm. yeah. so getting more of a focus on being able to breathe in through your nose um, and as well as being able to focus on exhaling you know one thing that I got uh, I forget. Man, I don't know if it was a conversation with you or I read this somewhere. Yeah. Something I started focusing on a lot more in the fall, with when I was out with the runners and we were going, especially the guy going into the winter and we would do our runs on the north side, was getting this exhale and using exhaling as a way to control the breathing, uh, very much like you just mentioned. And the thing is, what what I had read was when you exhale hard enough. You're the, the amount that you exhale influences how much you inhale. It's not the mm-hmm. other way around. Mm-hmm. So you can inhale as much as you want, but I can exhale really quickly. Versus if I exhale all out, I like, I, I can't even go back to talking because like my body's forced to inhale enough air to you know, get me back. And so the more that you exhale, then that influences how much you inhale and it helps control breathing when we're running one thing i would talk to them about was all right as you're pushing your pace focus on getting really good deep exhales don't take too long like a good second and a half to two second exhale because it'll force you to bring in a lot more oxygen and the more you can exhale you get all that carbon dioxide off your lungs mm-hmm. so then that opens up more uh bare, you know space in your blood to actually take in oxygen mm-hmm. as well as it forces you to breathe in more of it because you can influence that gas diffusion mm-hmm. And I find that as a way to keep calm, like, like you mentioned, keeping calm. Because mm-hmm. part of you know running, uh, when you're when you're working, even if you're playing basketball, playing ultimate, when you're working at a high pace and you start increasing your, you know the, your ventilatory threshold, you're starting getting close to there, if not past it, mm-hmm. your you know lactic threshold, you're starting to like push past. It becomes harder and harder to actually get good breaths in because you start panic breathing and you then you start wanting to get your uh, your breathing rate starts going up mm-hmm. and then you start spending more energy. And so so for those of you listening, imagine you're going out for like a run and you're running out for like five to ten minutes and you're pushing the pace and you're starting to get you know tired and you want to <gasps> you just want to do that. but if you actually <sighs> you can control that breathing that allows you to get more oxygen which helps you create more energy which allows you to not spend the energy so fast because you breathing fast is going to start spending energy a lot faster, which is going to be a feedback loop that just goes in through itself. And next thing you know, you pooped out and hit the wall. Whereas if you can control and, and have deep exhales, which gives you deep inhales, you can keep yourself from... You can extend that time before the wall really comes and you can kind of push the wall away from you a little bit.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, think you, I think you hit the nail on the head on that one because... You know, as, as runners, you know, we, we want to be able to be as efficient as possible um, so we can go faster and further and better distances for better times. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, being able to control our, our, um, our breathing is one way to do that. I would say in the grand scheme of running, and maybe it's less, less important, but, you know, it is something that you can work on on your own, you know, when you're, even when you're at home focus on breathing through your nose more often be a little more conscious about how you're breathing um you know focusing on that exhalation a little bit more is going to probably get you and this is also the case for you know i would say it's 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 important for a lot of your team sport athletes right your basketball players your football players you know they do more short bursts of of running well how can you know one of the things they talk about is how can i recover faster in between those bouts of, of exercise and that's like Let's calm our breathing down. Right. Mm-hmm. Once you do learn how to do that, your heart rate lowers, um, and um, and yeah, it, it's it's good. Your diaphragm, in turn, um, is working. I guess like less to 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 rest to, to respirate to breathe. Um, actually, you know what I'm just remembering is um, Steph Curry actually does something like this. Oh yeah. Yeah, I read an article, it was an ESPN article, that his trainer. Um, that he will do a very anaerobic, intense bout of, of, of work, whether it's like, um, you know, doing some like last speed ladders or like ropes or something. So he's like working real hard for a short amount of time, or running shuttles on the court or something like that. You know, anything that's like requiring a lot of effort in in a, in a shorter amount of time. After he's done with that, his trainer puts sandbags on him. He'll lay on the ground. And his trainer puts sandbags on his on his stomach and uh what that does is that almost trains the diaphragm to work less so he's breathing less uh and that lowers his heart rate more so he's recovering faster it's like a weird phenomenon that that happens when you slow your breathing down you train your heart rate to lower and you recover quicker
0: what in the world
1: yeah you can look up that espn article it's really really awesome
0: so wow yeah as as we close out here uh Listeners, I want you to get back to me, I want you all to go work out, and then I want you to get your training partner to put some heavy stuff on your stomach, and I want you all to get back to me about how that works, because I've never heard anything remotely like that, and now I need to go look this up. That's amazing. The,
1: just the general point, and I don't want to sound like a cuckoo person when I'm talking about all this. Cause no, feel, you don't. It, just... it feels ridiculous sometimes when I talk about putting sandbags on your chest. So just in general, like what you can do on your own is, is just like after any bout, hard bout of exercise, try to breathe through your nose as much as possible. Um, you know, when you're, when you're huffing and puffing for air, it's not going to be possible. Like you're, you need to get that air in, which is why we use our mouths to get more air in. Um, but you know, as you're recovering, find a spot where it's like, okay, now I feel like I can breathe through my nose. Try to slow your breathing down. And then watch what your heart rate does. If you have a heart rate monitor, cool. Use that, see what your heart rate does. If you have a, uh, um, if you have your, if you know how to check your own heart rate, like on your neck or on your wrist, see what your heart rate does. Try to slow your breathing down. You might notice you recover quicker.
0: Interesting. So leave us two notes. What are two things we could be doing to train better? Oh, wow. just to close this out.
1: That's a pretty broad question.
0: Um, we can keep it relative yeah. to what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I would say just don't be afraid to get in positions that may be uncomfortable for you now. You know, work on pushing those knees over those toes um, or, you know, doing things that you aren't as good at I think that's always a good option for for athletes in general it's like how can we push our limits and get into positions that we're not used to a little bit more often and that's something that I need to do a little bit more of too um, and everyone needs to do in my opinion and then so that you can do that in the gym you can work on your different types of squats your single leg squats your deadlifts Um, you know when you're out on the track, maybe it's getting into some more sprinting. If you're a distance runner, I think sprinting is a really good option for you. It's doing things that are just different, maybe a little uncomfortable. Um, I think that's very important. And then when you're, and then when you're at home by yourself, maybe work on your breathing. See how, see how it is to breathe a little bit less. Work on holding your breath a little bit more. Focus on, you know, maybe breathing through your nose a little bit more often, and and you know, lowering that heart rate after a long workout those are all, all good options that you can always try. You know, at the end of the day, like everything that I feel like we're talking about as coaches, they're just tools um, in, in our tool belt that we have. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from from someone the other day is, you know, every theory is probably wrong, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't utilize good things from it. And, and maybe a lot of things are right about it, but, um, you know, I'm not saying I'm Um, mr. right or anything else i don't think that's the case but you know we have these tools and some of them are great some of them maybe aren't so great but we utilize them to our advantage when we're we're athletes and we're coaches
0: i think that's going to be the uh, name of the show um every theory is probably wrong i like the name i like that (laughs) so we're going to call the episode that yeah um hey thanks coach we have more to talk about So we'll get you on the show again so we can go over the rest of these things that we want to talk about. We have a mentoring session for the uh, high school and middle school kids. So we're going to get to that. Um, Thank you all for listening. I hope you got some good gems here. I actually got you. You better have got some good gems because I got (laughs) some good gems here. Um, Make sure you like, subscribe and share this podcast with a friend, with a training buddy, uh, with somebody that you coach. You know, we want to really get the knowledge of training out here um and, you know get you around some good information um also make sure you check out www.ghperformance.com we have uh ebooks out on mindfulness on 10 exercises to help get rid of running pain uh, i'm eventually going to get done with our um strength training for young runners ebook that i've been working on for a long time believe it or not it's a whole story behind that i might make an episode just about getting this ebook done um but yes, thank you all. make sure you uh, share this with somebody. Um, I don't really have no other closing notes. Thank you coach Adam. Thank you. We'll uh, get back to you soon. Yes, holler. Sir.